Hello, I'm Blair Lemke. Welcome to Let God Speak. The biblical account of the patriarch Jacob's life in Genesis offers many spiritual insights for us today. Though needing to learn character lessons, God did not fail to fulfill His covenant promises through him. Our Bible study today will reveal this. On our panel today, we have Gail Fong and Stephen Groom. Welcome. Glad you Hi. could be with us. Thank you. As always, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word today. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us into truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, today we continue our study on the series through Genesis. Uh, we've been going through quite a lot of topics in the book of Genesis. We've been looking at some of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and today we particularly focus on the patriarch Jacob. And so there's much to learn and we're going to get straight into it. I want to ask you, Gail, uh, what do we learn about Jacob uh, even before he's born, while he's still in his mother's womb? What, what can we learn and grow about, know about Jacob? Well, in answer to that question, I'd like to take us to Genesis chapter 25 and verse 23. And it reads, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Mm. So in answer to Rebecca's um, inquiry of the Lord as to why there was so much turmoil in her womb, God gives her a detailed outline of the history of her children. And we find right there in, uh, the, mo in the mother's womb, both Jacob and Esau are very different mm. and they're struggling together. And after birth, they're going to continue to struggle. And Jacob is going to be struggling with his brother for supremacy. God also outlines that <clears throat> from her two children, they'll be heads of great nations and that one will be uh, stronger than the other, but the younger will be preeminent. And that was going to be Jacob. Wow. Well, we really do learn so much from just a few, you know, even while Jacob's still in the womb, we learn so much about the future of his life and what it will look like. Uh, let's just read on a few more verses here. Genesis chapter 25, verses 24. Uh, so when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. An interesting little description here of the names that were given to the children. Of course, names in scripture have a lot of significance. And Stephen, I want to throw the question to you. What do we learn from the names of these two boys about who they are or are going to be. Yeah, so, so all Hebrew names um, have a meaning. And so Esau means hairy <laughs> and they're twins, but obviously Esau was hairier than his brother. And Jacob means uh, literally one who grabs the heel. And as, as we read in the commentary, that's what um, Jacob did. He grabbed the heel of his brother. And that um, came to mean deceitful, 
or supplanter. Hmm. And so one, while Esau is described by his appearance, we see a taste of um, Jacob's problem with his, his uh, spiritual um, character. And I'm not sure I would want my name to point out my uh, spiritual aspect. Now, from their two names, you would think that Jacob would be the bad guy and uh, Esau would be the good guy. But mm. that's not how it works out, as we'll find out later. Yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it, to see this contrast between the two brothers already straight away from the moment they're born. And ultimately, these two brothers, um, you know, their behavior or their, these differences between them uh, are fulfilled in the way that they live their lives out in the coming you know, passages as we read through. So how do we see this play out, Gail? Well, reading on from um, in verse 27 and 28 of Genesis chapter 25, it says, So the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents and Esau loved uh, sorry, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So right here, just carrying on with, with the names and uh, with their characteristics, we find that Esau, yes, he, he loves the outdoors. He's a hunter and a skillful hunter at that. He loves, he doesn't like being restrained, doesn't like being inside and um, enjoys the, the freedom there of the wild open spaces. Whereas Jacob, he's a mild man, the Bible says, or he has a quiet temperament and he likes to dwell at home. And it's interesting, too, that the parents, the Bible makes special note that um, Isaac, he loved Esau. Perhaps it's because he was a, a shepherd man himself and his son's ad adventurous life. Uh, he, he found great delight in that. But it also tells us he likes to eat his game. But hmm. Rebecca, she loves Jacob. And I'm sure he was attentive to his mother and to and being very thoughtful. So we find that the spiritual and sensitive nature of Jacob contrasts with the tough and physical uh, nature of um, Esau. And this information regarding their characters anticipates the incident of the meal. Mm. And it's going to confirm uh, their respective priorities. Yes. Wow. And of course, we're going to see that in just a moment. Uh, but what I find interesting just here in this particular verse that you've highlighted, Gail, is that, you know, Jacob's described as a mild man. Now, this is kind of curious to me. In what sense does this quality, mildness, um, you know, dwelling in a tent, uh, in what sense, Stephen, does this predisposition Jacob to value spiritual things as we've seen he does do? Uh, you know, it's, it, it's not immediately obvious. So I would love to hear your reflections on that. Um, so the Hebrew word tam, which is translated as mild here, if we want to understand these words, sometimes we have to go to other places of the Bible, which will give us other translations for this. And so if we go to the book of Job, Job was um, described with this verb and it's translated as blameless. Hmm. And if we go to also Noah um, was described by this word Tam and it's translated as blameless in some versions and perfect, which is a bit of a loaded word. So here we have he's in some good company here with Noah and, um, and Job. 
So, yeah, he's a perfect or blameless person. So this mild manner is in a spiritual aspect. Yes. And that's quite important here because this contrasts with Esau's posture. And in the, in the way that Jacob valued those spiritual things, we see Esau doesn't so much seem to value these spiritual things. He doesn't value his birthright. Um, and uh, it's interesting. And I, I want to ask you, Gail, what does Esau seem to value instead? Um, it's, it doesn't, he, he's not so much valuing the spiritual things, but he's, what is he valuing instead? That's very interesting. He's a very healthy young man and he's come in from the hunt as the story goes on and he's just famished. He's, he's exhausted and he's hungry. And we find that Jacob, who's been home and he's been cooking an amazing pot of red lentil stew, he takes advantage of his uh, brother's hunger at this point. And obviously uh, he, he makes he make, wants to make a, make a deal with him that he would actually exchange uh, food for him for the birthright. Mm. And of course, Esau at this point, he's, all he's really caring about is his stomach <laughs> and his immediate need. And he says, well, what's, what is that to me? And of course, um, the story goes on in the Bible in verse 33 of Genesis chapter 25, where it says, Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So we find here that Esau... He was just living for the present and the uh, the birthright, actually, the, the mere fact that he would trade it for food shows that he mm. did not value it at all. This yeah. rich spiritual blessing that they both would have been brought up with to know how valuable it was. And uh, that was something that Jacob was actually prizing. He wanted to be that spiritual leader. He wanted to be that priest of his family. He wanted, um, he desired that his descendants would um, include the birth of the Messiah, mm. something that Esau didn't value. Well, it is interesting that you've brought that out, that there is that clear contrast that Jacob did value this birthright in contrast to Esau. And uh, but that's quite interesting in its, of itself, because though he values this spiritual thing, he values spirituality. Uh, he then goes on later under his mother's uh, instigation to deceive his father into receiving this birthright. Uh, and so what we see a situation, a scenario where Jacob wants something that's good. It's a good thing to desire this birthright, but he goes about something that's good of value, of, is admirable, and he uses deception to get it. Stephen, I want to throw the question to you. How can we avoid falling into a similar trap of doing bad so maybe that good might come as we've seen play out here in Jacob's story? Yeah, well, that's actually in, it was said of, the Jews said it of the Messiah. You know, they said, let us do evil, i.e. kill Jesus, so that good may come so the nation of Israel could prosper. In the same way, we must not try and, uh, Satan is always tempting us to, um, to do things for our own end. I mean, Jacob, he was trying to get his own end of, of gaining the birthright, but he ended up doing it through um, dishonest means. And so uh, Jacob had enough faith uh, to value spiritual things, but he did not have enough faith to trust God to bring it about in his own ends. 
And that's always a temptation for us. You know, mm. we want to work out our own uh, way. We want to help yes. God, so to speak, instead of having patience and trust and faith in God to, to do it ourselves. So the end does not justify the means. We have to be people of principle all the time. Wow, that's an mm. important spiritual lesson that we can draw from this, isn't it? Yes. Um, as, as soon as Esau learns that Jacob has done this thing, deceived and taken the birthright, he wants to kill Jacob. And so Jacob flees to his mother's family in a faraway land. And as he flees, uh, God encounters him in a dream. God comes to him in a dream and gives him a dream. Gail, what did God communicate to Jacob through this dream? Oh, it's a beautiful dream, <laughs> one that one would love to have if you were in his shoes. Um, reading um, from the Bible, Genesis 28, verses 12 to 15, it says um, here, uh, Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was uh, set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. And also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken hmm. to you. Such a fantastic dream that he has that God gives him. And in this dream, Jacob sees this extraordinary ladder that reach, that is on earth and reaches all the way up to heaven to where God is. Mm. And um, God then promises Jacob, despite his, uh, his sin, God promises that he's going to be with him. And that he, not only that, but he's going to fulfill the covenant promise through him. What an encouraging dream that must have been at this yeah. time in Jacob's life. And uh, you're right in this, this ladder is, is actually a very significant uh, symbol here that he receives in this dream. What does this ladder represent, Stephen? Oh, the ladder, it, it's a metaphor for the, for the whole gospel. I mean, through, through the, the life, death and mediation of Christ, we now have connection between heaven and earth, whereas it must be said because of sin, um, earth in some way was cut off from, from heaven. But God has made a way through Christ where we, whereby we might be saved. And that ladder, and um, looking at some uh, Hebrew verb there uh, in Genesis 28 verse 12, the Hebrew verb natsav is used to refer to the ladder that is set up. Um, and the Lord who stood in, in um, verse 13 is used for the Lord as if they are the same thing. Wow. Mm -hmm. So the, the Lord is that ladder who connects uh, fallen humanity to heaven. Wow, what a beautiful image that is, that, that Christ is that connector for us from heaven to earth. Beautiful thoughts. Um, when Jacob wakes up from this dream, he makes an interesting statement, and I want to read it here together in Genesis 28, verses 16 and 17. Then Jacob awoke 
from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob names this location as Bethel. Um, and, and we see that in verse 19 there. He called the name of that place Bethel. Uh, and so Jacob after this experience, names the place Bethel, uh, which means the house of God. And he describes this place as the gate of heaven. Uh, There's some very clear parallels here, Gail, between uh, Bethel and Babel from earlier in our study of Genesis. Uh, What are some of these parallels that we see here? This is very interesting. I found this very interesting indeed, that um, the gate of heaven mentioned in verse 17 this is the only place that this occurs in the entire Hebrew Bible um, and is reminiscent with the name Babel, which means gate of God. I thought that was very interesting. Um, in contrast to the name Babel, which recalls um, the vain attempt of men who never reached the door of God, Bethel affirms that we are in the house of God. That's, I thought it was a very powerful thought. Um, the men of Babel entertained the ambition that they would reach God, but they never, they never reached, they could never reach him by their own man-made attempts. Mm. Whereas the lesson of Bethel is that access to God can be achieved only through his gift. And this gift, this, um, through his grace, through the incarnation, through the ladder of Jesus Christ. Wow. It's, um, yeah, quite an interesting little insight, isn't it, to to see these parallels. Uh, It's interesting to see how Jacob goes on then and responds to this. And I want to notice in verse 20, uh, we'll read together. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in his way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I can come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I've set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So Jacob, in his response here, uh, it's in response to the dream. He sets up a memorial. He vows to serve God and he commits to give God a tithe. Stephen, I want to ask you what spiritual lesson we can take here, particularly regarding tithe. Well, it's a way that he wants to positively respond to God for what he's seen. He's obviously been in awe, as you you mentioned, and he doesn't want to leave that sense of awe in the spiritual and the mystical. He wants to show his appreciation in something concrete and outward terms. So he decides to give that tenth to God. A powerful insight, isn't it? That, that response to God is not just some sort of spiritual you know, mystical thing, but a response to God can actually have legs and feet and can Mm. transact into how we spend our money. (laughs) And and Uh, also we are also given that uh, opportunity to return a tithe to God. It's interesting as well to note that this is turning up well and truly before the nation of Israel. Um, Some of the critiques against the concept of tithing is that, oh, that's just an Israelite thing, a Jewish thing. But here we see Jacob giving a tithe well before uh, the nation of Israel is is established, so to speak. Uh, It it goes on. And of course, Jacob leaves Bethel. He continues his journey from here until he meets his uncle Laban. And um, here Jacob falls in love with 
Laban's youngest daughter, Rachel. And he agrees to work for Laban for seven years in exchange for Rachel's hand in marriage. And I want you to notice here how Jacob reflects on this time. It's very, very beautiful, actually. Genesis 29, verse 20, we read, So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. Isn't that a beautiful text there? Uh, you know, we see this, um, this, it's just a couple of days they seemed like to Jacob because of his love for her. Uh, Gail, what does this teach us about love and our own Christian experience? Wow. Love's a very powerful motivator. <laughs> um, and Tia, when you, well, when you truly love someone, you can, you can never do enough for them. And um, it makes a heavy burdens light. It doesn't seem like a burden when you love someone. It's a delight to do something for someone that you love. And of course, love stands out in its greatest lesson in the Bible with what Jesus did for us, how he went to the cruel cross of Calvary on our behalf. And I love how my favorite author, as she puts this, it's just a sentence, but I was contemplating it. In the contemplation of Christ, we linger on the shore of a love that is measureless. And when I think about God's love and I think about how much Jacob loved Rachel, It just gives a little glimpse, perhaps from a human perspective. But for myself, in what God has done for me, um, knowing how much God loves me, it makes it makes it a joy to serve him. It's not like something I have to do, but it's a delight that I just want to give God my all. And so I think it changes your whole heart and perspective. Mm. And the Christian life is such a beautiful life Mm. because God loves me so much. I just want to show my love back. And mm-hmm. Jacob's love was just I, I just wonder how many men would marry their wives if they had to work for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question to consider, it's isn't quite it? quite a long time. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. And I, I want us to notice as well, after these seven years, Jacob, of course, approaches Laban to receive Rachel in marriage. And I want you to notice how this goes on. Uh, Then Jacob said, this is verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. Verse 23. Now it came to pass in the evening that Laban took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Verse 25. So it came to pass in the morning that behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Uh, Why then have you deceived me? Stephen, how would Jacob be feeling at this point? Oh, he'd be gutted, wouldn't he? He would be absolutely felt betrayed. But it's interesting that um, uh, Matthew 7, 2 says the principle that with what measure you meet, to you will be measured again. As we know that his name means deceiver. And here we see that um, he's been treated like he's been treating others. He's, he's been deceived and he doesn't like it at all. And so he would come to know the, the terrible trait that he has through mm. being treated the same way, I think. Yeah, it would have been a pretty tough lesson to learn, wouldn't it? it would and, have... and I believe God does that to mm. each one of us to show us um, the enormity of our sins. So, Gail, I want to ask you the question, what evidence do we have here that, that God has actually been growing Jacob, developing his character over time? Mm. I, I think the mere fact there that he says in verse, um, in verse 25 there, he says, why then have you deceived me? 
like he knows that deception is sin, it's wrong. And so, yes, the deceiver now, as Stephen has said, he's now over the years been experiencing much deception that's come his way. And through life's, uh, what life has thrown at him, he's now learning to recognise the sinfulness mm. of sin. And also Laban uh, deceived him in many other ways. He changed his yes. wages, I believe, seven mm -hmm. times. So yes. no, he was putting up with this man who was deceiving him more than once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, uh, a lesson that he did need to learn. And God was growing him through this. Of course, after this deceptive act, Laban does agree to give Rachel for just another seven years of service. And so, um, of course, he does that. He serves, even though it wasn't in the original agreement, he goes ahead. Jacob works. Um, and in this instance, Jacob was treated dishonestly and unjustly. And I want to throw the question to you, uh, Stephen. How can we learn to trust God when we don't see justice being done or when people do evil and get away with it, apparently? Yeah, that's a very tough one. I myself, I, I suppose everyone feels that we want to teach the person that that's treated as badly a lesson. But uh, I'd bring, the, bring you to the Bible, Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. It says, Dearly beloved, um, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. So, you know, vengeance is associated with anger uh, and it's not a good thing. Um, For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So we have to have faith that if, if we've been treated badly, in the end, God will pay, mm. repay, sorry. Mm. And now this is different to justice. Mm. We need to make sure that uh, justice is done, yes. although we shouldn't punish the person for what they've done. I believe that we should make a differentiation between the two. That's a very important insight because ultimately when we see things that are unjust or you know evil getting away with these sorts of things, uh, ultimately, um, you know, it's an act of faith to leave it in God's hands that he has the world in control and he's, you know, he's doing, uh, it's an act of faith to trust that it's God's to avenge. And yet we are called to, to seek justice and yes. to, you know, show, you know, pursue these values. And so there is that tension there to hold, isn't there? That yes. Just this concept of pulling them together. Um, it's a fine balance. It, it is. Yeah. Now I want to throw just uh, in summary, a last question, question out to you, Gail. And um, this story, of course, is a beautiful story that has so many spiritual lessons that we consider. consider. Um, but in what ways does this story reveal that God's purposes will be fulfilled in heaven and on earth despite human failures and errors? We, uh, it's an interesting thought to consider, isn't it? It is an interesting thought. Well, God, who's overall and who knows everything, uh, does not does not determine the future of our steps. That is up to us. But God gives us the freedom of choice. And these two brothers, although God foretold their character, he get, they play out in their life that freedom to choose, that God-given freedom to choose because God is love. This is the love that drew Jacob to him. This is the God that Jacob chose to to make his God, the God of his father, Abraham, the God of his father, Isaac and his God. Well, that's all we have time for today. Many powerful lessons there, aren't there? The life of Jacob is a reminder to us that no matter how many times we fall short of the glory of God, he remains faithful to us. 
When we find ourselves in a pit of despair with apparently no way back to God, Jesus is the ladder that connects earth to heaven and it is presented to us. Won't you climb that ladder today? Thank you for joining us on Let God Speak. If you'd like to watch this program again or access teacher's notes, visit our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. We hope to see you again next time. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.